everybody. Thank you guys. It's good to be with you all today. Uh, welcome to New City. I'm Kenny, one of the pastors here. Um, it has been uh, dry and hot this week. Can I get an amen? Oh my gosh. Santa Ana winds. I was thinking this morning we should rename them the Satanic winds. It's just been like killing me, man. Um, seems like I can't drink enough water. I'm just always dehydrated. I uh, have a headache like five days this week that lasted all day. So um, I am thankful to be here and thankful for a little bit cooler weather and the marine layer and praying that uh, the uh, end of end of the fall would feel a little bit like fall. Um, and also praying for the safety of our area with all the fires and all that and praying for those first responders. Um, uh, about three months ago, I uh, celebrated my 34th birthday, and uh, my wife Hannah got me a really awesome gift, which was kind of a double gift, and it was she, uh, she took an old guitar that I had and got it refurbished, and they cleaned it up, and they put new strings on it, and they adjusted the tuners and um, gave it a nice new, um, just showed some conditioning love to this guitar, and um, it was a beautiful gift because um, that that guitar has a lot of sentimental uh, value to me too because it was my my grandfather's guitar, my papa's guitar, um, as I called him, and um, he passed away when I was eight years old, so I was pretty young. And my granny, right? I'm from Arkansas. Papa and granny. All right, you can tell where someone's from based on their names for their grandparents, right? So Papa and Granny, and um, she she gave me uh, his guitar a few years after he passed. So I was 11 or 12, and um, I thought it was a beautiful gift, and I was really happy about it, and I was excited for it. Um, but I didn't play guitar yet, so I I didn't um, I was happy about it. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a super cool gift. Um, but, you know, she gave it to me in a, in a box, cardboard box, and what ended up happening is it ended up just kind of staying in the closet um, at our house, and I didn't, you know, a year went by, another year went by, and occasionally I would take it out, and I would look at it, and I would think about how much the gift meant to me, and how beautiful this guitar was, and he had got it uh, at Sears and Roebuck in 1941, so it's a had a lot of stories. He used to play it in his church before I was even, uh, you know, a thought. Um, and um, but it just sat there. And occasionally I would think about, oh, that's a great gift. But I, I didn't really play it until maybe almost ten years later. Somehow I decided, oh, I want to learn the guitar. And I was like, I don't have a guitar. And I was like, wait, yes, I do. And I have Papa's guitar. And so I got that. And I learned, you know, G chord and C chord and D chord and E minor. And then you could play every worship song. He knows four chords. Um, that's uh, <laughs> the worship team can back me up on that. Um, so I learned those, and and then I kept playing, and then I started writing songs, and um, and then eventually, uh, six or seven years ago, I came out with an album, and two of the songs on that album, I used that guitar to record. And um, the reason I share all that is uh, is the thought of this that I had a beautiful gift and I knew a knew I had a beautiful gift and I appreciated it but it's possible to have a gift and totally miss the point of the gift it's possible to celebrate how beautiful and how great this thing is and study it and think about it and 
and think, wow, this is really marvelous and how great and how special this is, but totally miss the point of why the gift is good. If you're not using it for what it was meant for. And I think that we can do that with the gospel. I think that we Christians are guilty. I'm guilty of doing that with the gospel a lot. Celebrating this beautiful gift that we have. That, that we didn't earn and, and we could never deserve. And, 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 and um, Vince preached on it beautifully last week about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to save us. That, God, um, that, that Jesus came to rescue us from sin. That, that we've been saved from the penalty of our sin. That we're being saved right now from the power of sin in our lives. And one day we will be saved from the presence of sin in our lives. And I just think that it's possible for us to know about that and to study it and think about it and know that it's true and still be missing the point and the purpose of that gift. It's a beautiful gift. But if we're not doing with that gift what God intended for it, if it's, if it's not um, within the purpose and the context that he lined out for it, then we're going to be missing out on the purpose of it. Because the gospel is not just a powerful message, it is a purposeful message. It has a purpose for us, and it gives us a purpose that kind of shapes the whole scope of our lives and what they look like. Amen? Um, Pastor Rick Warren had a, had a quote about knowing your purpose or knowing God's purpose for your, uh, for your life, and it says this. Um, I don't think I put it in there. It's my bad, but it said, Nothing matters more than knowing God's purposes for your life, and nothing can compensate for not knowing them. Not success or wealth or fame or pleasure. Without a purpose, life is motion without meaning activity without direction, and events without reason. Without a purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. And so the question I want to ask today right here at the beginning, that really one of the ultimate questions that we have to answer is why are you saved? Why are you saved? If you're here today and you're a Christian, you've got to answer that question. If you're here today and you're seeking and you're not yet a Christian, you probably have an answer to that question because it... How you answer that question determines how your life will look. Because what you believe the gospel is all about is going to show up in the, the practices you have, whether they're religious or not religious. It, if you're, if you're um, not in Christ and you haven't yet received that gospel, maybe that answer is in your life is showing, well, it doesn't seem important yet. I don't know why it's important yet to be saved like all these Jesus people talk about. Or if you are a Christian... You know, if you look at your life, um, you can see the different areas, the different things that you're believing about what, what Jesus saved you for by where your time goes or where your priorities are. Or, you know, are you tracking? That's my phrase. And I <laughs> it's been coined by me and reaffirmed by, by Tom. <laughs> um, how you answer that question, why? Are you saved? Why do you believe you're saved? How you answer that will explain why your life looks the way it does. And it's a very big question. I know. I'm, I'm aware of that. I, we could, I could pontificate for hours. I, I mean, 
I've been in seminary now, and some, some of that's really good, and some of that's bad, because I can just keep, like, talking and going down rabbit holes of theology and philosophy, and um, we don't have time, and I don't want to bore you guys, but I think that um, it's simple enough to say that we do have answers to that, even if we don't think of them that much. Um, one of the answers that, there's a couple I want to highlight that are, that are popular. One of them is, why are you saved? Afterlife insurance, right? Afterlife insurance. Cost-benefit analysis, like in, 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 this, in, this, uh, in this answer, um, it's, it's, it's not about this life, it's about after this life, right? And the emphasis is, hey, when you die, do you want to be in a good place or a bad place, right? Well, I want to be in a good place. Okay, well, bam, there you're saved, right? And um, I'm not, uh, I don't want to be too sarcastic because the afterlife is a part of our salvation. So I don't want to make fun of that. But I, I do want to say it's not just about that. And what happens when we make it just about that is we can be so focused on avoiding hell in the future that we ignore hell all around us and our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our fellow students. And we don't connect the dots that Jesus saved me for a reason here, not just there. It's not just when I'm dead, it's the whole time I'm alive. <laughs> Amen? Another one is, another one that, um, a danger, a dangerous answer, a danger that we can fall into if we don't think about this question, why are we saved, is um, the possibility of thinking that I've been saved and it's all about me. And we can even do this with good, sorry, I told you guys, dehydrated. Um, we can even do this with, with, a, with an understanding of the gospel, an understanding of why Jesus came and lived and why he had to die and why he was buried and rose again on the third day. We can understand that fully and, and understand it beautifully. And even like Vince preached about last week, we can realize that he did that to free us from, from guilt and shame and fear. And still, if we're not careful, if we don't connect this to the, 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 the context that God has given us, that gospel can be just about how God got me off the hook. And it never goes beyond me getting off the hook into helping other people experience the freedom that I've experienced. We are going to read the Bible today. <laughs> you guys might be wondering. I'm going to start with Acts chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 7. And um, in this passage, the, the disciples, the apostles are... I think, are wrestling with this question. This, this is one of the ways that they're wrestling with this question. And this is the beginning of the book of the, the Acts of the Apostles. And um, it's talking about what, after Jesus was resurrected, what the Holy Spirit led uh, the disciples to do. And um, if you can imagine with me, just before we read it, I, I want to set it up a little bit. These disciples have followed Jesus for three years of his life and ministry, and, and they've been close to him, and they've believed in him, and even believed that he's the, the promised Messiah that was going to come and, and set us free and make things right and make wrongs right. And then 
they're getting excited because he's going to Jerusalem and that's where the center is. That's where God's going to do this. And he goes to Jerusalem, but a week later, instead of taking power and and putting the bad people out of power and him taking over and making everyone do the right thing, he dies. And they watched him. They watched him go through a trial that didn't make any sense. It was a mockery of justice. They had false witness after false witness after false witness, and they still couldn't pin him down on anything. And then they still sentenced him to death. And they watched him be beaten and bloodied beyond recognition and be stripped naked and humiliated on a cross in Jerusalem. This, the Messiah who should be king. And yet he's there and then he breathes his, he he says, it is finished. He breathes his last and then he dies. And then a few days later, some of the women disciples from their group start to spread a rumor, which is actually true, that we saw him and he rose again. And at first they don't believe him, but then he appears. And they they begin to believe, oh my goodness, what? You're back. You're risen. You're resurrected. And that's where we are. Let's read verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, almost six weeks, and spoke about the kingdom of God And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. And what I hear in that question is this. Isn't this why you came back? Is this the reason you came back? Like, you were dead. We saw you die. And now you're here. So is the kingdom restored right now in Israel? And we we know, like, they, they were expecting it to be a nationalistic hope for Messiah to come and to come right there in Israel and to make things right in Israel. But Jesus had bigger plans. But what what I want you to hear is they're wrestling with, hey, if you're not here to restore the kingdom right now, then why are you here and why are we here? You died. You're back. We believe in you. We've experienced salvation. So let's go do the mission, right? And Jesus doesn't tell them not to do the mission. He just sets aside the times and dates and then he frames it like this in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It says you'll be my witnesses. The Greek word is martyrus, where we get martyr, right? You're going to testify about everything that you've seen. And it's not just going to be in your holy huddle here. You're going to do it in Jerusalem at the at the center of religious power and the center of power in this nation. And then you're going to go out to Judea, which is the region around Jerusalem. And then you're going to go across the border into Samaria with people who look a little different than you and people who you have a history of not liking and arguing with. You're going to go and be my witnesses there. And then when you are there, you're going to go be witnesses to the ends, to the furthest end of the earth. 
Jesus says is, yes, it is. The kingdom's coming and you get to be a part of it. You have a role in expanding it. Not just here and not just right now, but it's going to be here and then it's going to spread out and then it's going to go further out and then it's going to go to all nations. What if Jesus hadn't told them that? What if they had missed that part of their calling? What if they had missed that part of God's grand purpose and scheme of things and they just stayed in Jerusalem and they just waited for him to make everything right and they kept having their weekly church services and thank God they didn't. Amen? We wouldn't be here. <laughs> Worshiping God in a different part of the world, in a different language, <laughs> in a different culture, we wouldn't be here. Similar, similarly today, church, if we miss God's purpose for us receiving this gift, what are we going to miss out on? Who might miss out? We risk having a holy huddle where everyone's cool and everyone's cool in here and we're, we're growing more like Christ, but everyone else outside, like, we don't know what's going on with them. I think another thing we risk is if we're detached from our purpose, we can fall into this really surprising lie that Christianity is somehow boring where God has called us to this mission that's so big, there's no way we could handle it on our own. And yet he says, in your weakness, that's where my strength is made perfect. I'm going to call you. you hmm. All right. Hallelujah. All right. All I'm getting at is this, guys. The gospel contains a purpose for you that's bigger than just you. Amen. And it's bigger than just the afterlife. And to understand our gospel purpose, we need to see it uh, in, in the bigger picture. We've got to see it in context, and that context is the story of God. Anyone ever heard a joke out of context? Like, or a punchline out of context? And it's like, yeah, it is no bueno. <laughs> it's like, and then you have to, like, re-explain it, and then it's definitely not funny because you had to explain why it's funny, right? Um, there's this scene in... in uh, one of my favorite movies, Dumb and Dumber, um, <laughs> I grew up with that movie, and um, there's this scene, it's like a dream scene where uh, Lloyd, I think, is envisioning himself being the life of the party, and he's surrounded by, you know, the family members and friends of the girl he's interested in, and, and you just, as, as uh, watching the movie, you just see him, and he's like, and so then he said, do you love me? And she said, no, but that's a nice ski mask. And then everyone just starts laughing. And they start throwing popcorn in the air. It's like the funniest joke you've ever seen. Except as, as the viewer, you're like, what? <laughs> I, I have no context for that. I don't even know if that's actually funny, but apparently he thinks it's funny, and they all think it's funny. Ha. <laughs> ha. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing 
The gospel power without the gospel purpose is like hearing the punchline without hearing the joke. We can, we can tell people God loves you and has a plan for your life and Jesus died to save you from your sins. But if we're not fitting it into the story of what God's doing, what, what has happened and what will happen, what we believe, what the hope that we have, then it doesn't make sense. It's like, well, which God loves me and what's he like and what is sin and how do I know it's real and how do I know I need saving from it? How do I know I will be saved from it? It doesn't make sense if it's out of context. And the story of God, I, I love that we do, we do story of God weekends and we try to go through a condensed version of it. Um, Todd's led one of those. Heidi's led uh, one or two of those. And um, I, uh, I don't have time to go through that whole thing. But the, the beautiful thing is that you can, you can tell the story of God even in, in broad brushstrokes. Um, and one of, the, one of the things I think that we can all relate to in that if you're talking about giving a context, is this. All of us feel like the world is not the way it's meant to be. Every single person you've ever met knows that this world is not the way that it should be. And I would say that that universal ache for a better world points us to something. It's just like Hunger points us to food, and when we eat, we feel better. And just like thirst points us to water, that that ache for a better world means that either our world one day was what it should have been, or one day will be what it should be. And that's where the story of God starts, is that when God created us, he created us for good. That he created the world, that he created humans in his image, that... that um, he created us for perfect relationship with him. He created us for harmony with each other in our relationships. No um, injustice or oppression or harm or hatred or killing. He created us. He created the world and gave it to us to steward and to meet every need that we had and for us to take care of it. And when God... When God is in charge, we have a good world. But when we want to be in charge, when we want to say, I'll, I'll take the knowledge of good and evil, I'll decide what's right and what's wrong for myself. I'll do life my own way. God, I know you have a beautiful vision for this, but mine is a little bit better. That that's not done in a vacuum. That That is what the Bible calls sin, and that is what has brought the damage into our world. It's damaged our relationship with God. That's why we feel distant from God. It's damaged our relationship between each other. That sin has wreaked havoc. And it's damaged our relationship with his world. But God loves the world way too much to leave it that way. And he begins a promise of restoration and reclaiming his world. And that's what the story of the scriptures are. That instead of thrusting his hands off and saying, well, that was done. No, he says, I'm going to restore. And he begins to work 
two people and eventually leading us up to Jesus. God came in the person of Jesus to this earth and he showed us what it's like to be truly human, to have a relationship with God that's whole and not severed, to have relationships with people that bring healing and not distance. And when he should have been celebrated and we should have said, yes, this is the way, what did our world that's reached by sin do? We put him to death. And yet he did that for us. We find that when he was on the cross, he was dying for us, for our sins, taking the punishment for our sins and the damage that's been done to us and by us. He took on himself on the cross so that we could be restored, which is what Vince preached about last week, which is amazing and incredible and you could never plumb the depths of it and you could keep rehearsing it and you need to if you're going to grow in Christ. That we've been restored for better and that's what Jesus came to do, but that's not the end of the story. That Jesus restored us for better and then he sent us out together to heal into a world that's still damaged. But you know what? Our relationship with him is being made whole. Our relationship with others is being healed. And he is sending us out with this message of hope, which is what he says in Acts 1.8. You don't know the times or the dates that everything's going to fully go down. You don't have all the details, but you are going to be my witnesses here. And then it's going to branch out and then it's going to go. We're sent together to heal with this promise that because he rose again, and because death could not defeat him, that one day he will return. And that all wrongs will be made right. And that all injustices and oppression will cease. Let me ask you guys, are you longing for that day? Are you longing for that day? Are your prayers informed by that hope? Because if they're not, they're not going to sustain you for the long run. When I look around at our world and when I see um, the pain and the suffering and when I see the wrongs that seem to just be cycles and not just even cycles but spiraling out of control, there's something in my heart that says, come to Jesus, come. I believe that you will. And I believe that he gives us that hope as an anchor. He gives us that hope as an anchor. He gives us a mission. That what God has done to you, if you have experienced, if you have any comfort in the gospel, if you have experienced freedom in your life, if you have an area of your life where you have been set free and you know it's by Jesus, what God has done to you, he wants to do through you. There is a purpose for your life here right now. If the purpose for your life was just to be in heaven, then why are you here? Because God has a purpose for you here. 
and he has a mission for you here. He's saying, hey, that healing that you've experienced, I'm sending you out together to heal and point to me. Amen? You've been saved by God's work for God's work. Ephesians 2.8, popular verse, but I want to read it. Um, Ephesians 2.8 through 10 says this. But by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. We're not saved by the works that we could muster up and put together, but we have been, God has worked on us <laughs> to make us in his image, to restore his image in our hearts so that we could do the good works that he's prepared for us to do. Amen? And when we connect with that, it's the total opposite of the holy huddle syndrome. It's the total opposite of of. I've had conversations with people that say, why can't we be in heaven always? When we, and I'm not going to say I haven't felt that before, right? But when we connect with God's mission for us, it's the opposite of that. God has given us a mission. God has given us a purpose. God has given us the motivation in the gospel to go out and reach more people. It's God has not given you a mission because he's too lazy to do it. God has given that to you, to you and to me because he knows we need it. And we're actually going to come more alive than any other place in our life when we are living on God's mission and we are taking the gift that he's giving us and using it for what he meant it for. Amen? Amen. So what does that look like? He's given us a mission. We're not saved by our works. We're saved four good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. What does that look like? Jesus clarifies in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, when he says this. Also, some of his last words before ascending. And Jesus says this. Came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We fulfill our gospel purpose through the mission that Jesus gave us, which is making disciples of sinners for God's glory. church sharing the good news of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus is God's plan A for the redemption of the world that he will one day make full and complete and he doesn't have a backup plan and that's not because he's not a good planner but God has given us a purpose and a meaning and, and, and joy in calling us to this 
win disciples fill this city and every area and aspect of the city, whether it's education or business or uh, politics or art or whatever it may be, that's how God's glory is shown on the earth. And God is changing and restoring and redeeming this city from the inside out. Amen? All of life, not just the spiritual part. That's why um, many of you uh, have been at New City from the beginning, and we've seen this, and this is not new information. Um, this is stuff maybe you've heard before, maybe you've seen it, um, or maybe you're newer and, and you haven't seen it a whole lot, but this idea that God has a greater purpose and that we get to be part of it, that so often we're guilty of asking, how does God's purpose fit into my life instead of asking, how does my life fit into God's purpose? So, so often we're guilty of saying, what, what mission does, what does Jesus have for me instead of asking, what kind of me does Jesus want for his mission? Because it's bigger and he's got a mission for you and for me. And, and this point, this principle is why our church is shaped the way it is, why we teach the way we do, why we emphasize the things we do. That's why we talk about gospel communities on mission basically every single week. Because God has called us to carry this gospel and live it out in relationships with one another on his mission, not just when we come here together on Sundays, but all throughout the week, living for the glory of God. And it looks like all sorts of different things. Um, it looks like all sorts of different things, and it shows up in all sorts of different ways. But um, one of the ways that it shows up is just committing to a neighborhood and saying, God, we want to be a bright spot in a dark world on this street. Anybody here remember the crate? <laughs> yeah? Um, <laughs> for, for those of you that don't know it, the, the story behind the, cr the crate was just a nickname for a house. But the whole idea was um, some people said, hey, we want to move into a house together and we want to live this kind of life and live out God's purpose, live on his mission and be a bright spot in a neighborhood that needs a bright spot. And uh, there was all sorts of stories that came from that. The, over in 29th and U Street in Golden Hill area. And um, there was just all kinds of beautiful pictures of the gospel that would show up left and right. And, and you know, I lived there for a number of years, and I just counted myself so lucky to, to see that and experience that. But one of them that um, really stands out was, um, you know, it was interesting. After we moved into the house, I would say less than a month. We, we just, we moved really quick. There was five of us. And we, we <laughs> just like decided on it, jumped on it, got in. Oh, rent's cheap. Okay, that's great. And then we find out a few weeks later uh, from one of the neighbors that that house had a history. <laughs> and we're like, oh, that's why the rent was cheap. Um, but no, apparently it, it had not been taken care of. And all the, all the plants and everything had grown up. And people who didn't have a place would use it um, to do drugs or just sleep there. And and the thing that we found out that really like hit us hard was that uh, a 14-year-old girl had been murdered just a few years before. 
And um, we, I, re- I still remember us talking about it in the, in the den. And we, honestly, we got really spooked um, because we were in the den where it happened. And we were finding out, you know, that that had happened. And, and we were kind of like, oh, man, what did we get into? Or did we need to get out of there? It seemed like all the neighbors knew about it because it had just been an eyesore of the neighborhood for a long time. And we decided, no, we're, we're going to, we feel like God led us here and we're going to do our thing. And so we started reaching out and meeting neighbors and we did all sorts of things. And um, one of the things we did a few, uh, a year or two in was we did movie nights and we would have a, you know, just a screen or a speaker and invite everyone from around the neighborhood to come and bring a blanket and we make popcorn and watch a movie. And um, that was fun. <laughs> Except somebody picked Selena one time, which is like the saddest, like... <laughs> great movie, but really we want to invite all the neighbors to, um, anyways, (laughs) one time we were having a, we were having a a movie, and it wasn't Selena, it was a different one, Um, and, um, and uh, one of the roommates shared, um, a lady came up to the door that day, and just knocked on it, and said hello, and um, was talking, and then she said, you know what, um, I'm I'm the mother of the girl that was killed here, that died here, and um, she said, I, I I have to drive by this house on my way to work every day, and I can't even look. I look to the other side of the street, and because it's such a like a black hole in my heart, um, and she said I for some reason I felt like I should come by, and and the roommate said, well hey I'm so glad you did, and it's great to meet you, and. I want you to know we're having a movie night tonight and people from the neighborhood are going to come. And, um, we invited her and we just thought, I don't know if she's going to come back or anything. And uh, come to find out that night she came and she brought her son. And um, we watched the movie and we just had, you know, just people having fun and enjoying one another. And um, I just remember. Uh, <laughs> it's all right doing what babies do right there. Um, I just remember the, the picture to her of a bright spot in a dark place. And not, not that it was anything big, not that it was anything complicated, but there was a group of Jesus followers that said, we want to create a place of hospitality and warmth and welcome, and we don't care what it used to be used for. We don't care what the story of brokenness is behind it. We're going to keep living for Jesus' glory. And look at the, just a small little glimpse of restoration in that, in that lady's life. And I don't know, it may not have meant much to her, but I think it did. And I think that it, in God's time, um, it will reap it will reap fruit. Amen? That's one glimpse of what it looks like. That's one glimpse of why we talk about gospel communities on mission every week. Because we don't want to just we don't want to just have a Bible study that can so much be insular and focused inward and never reaching out. And we don't want to just have um, kind of an activist group that's always about pouring out and not really about calling to repent and look to Jesus. We do want to support each other, but we don't want just a support group. We want to be on God's mission together as a family. 
in the everyday ways, not just the churchy ways, not just the Sunday morning ways. Amen? As I'm talking today, I don't know what's going on in your heart, and I know most of you that are here today, um, but I don't know what God may be saying to you or putting on your mind, whether it's encouragement or conviction or whatever it may be, but if you're here today and you feel like you've lost sight of your purpose, can I tell you that God has one for you? If you're here, and and I've been guilty of this, if you've tried to fit God's purpose into your life instead of looking at your life and fitting it into God's greater purpose, can I tell you from experience that that road is not satisfying? That road doesn't lead to happiness. It's a shortened gospel. But when you come and say, Jesus, I see a glimpse of your great purpose, where can I fit into it? What can these hands do for that? It doesn't have to be teaching on a Sunday. It doesn't have to be playing music. It doesn't have to. God, what can I do? What can I do at work? What can I do to be an electrician for the name of Jesus? What can I do? We pray for our Sunday school teachers all the time, but do we also pray for our teachers in schools who are with students every week, 40 hours a week at least, who don't know Jesus? How can they be a bright spot in their school? Is this making sense? Hmm. I want to share one more verse as um, I'm coming to a close here. Um, And it was from our... City Bible reading this week, and um, I don't know if I have it up there, but it's Second Peter one five. Um, I'm reading uh, four of these verses. It says, "For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self control, and to self control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness." So we're, we're supposed to make every effort to add these things to our life. You, you start with faith and you add goodness and you have goodness and you add knowledge and then you take knowledge and you add self-control and then you take self-control and you add perseverance and then you add godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we have in the scriptures here is a gentle warning and a reminder that we can have tons of knowledge about Jesus and be ineffective and unproductive in it. And I'm not, I'm not sharing that to preach down at anyone. This is a reminder to my heart. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, 
forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You know, as I read that this week, the thing that stuck out to me is this. You know, it's all these good things that no one would argue that they're good. I want more of those in my life. I want to add more of those in my life. I want to reach for more of those in my life. And here the scripture's instructing me to, and it's good. And he's saying, if you have more of those, this knowledge, this gift you have is not going to be ineffective or unproductive. But then it says, if you don't have those things, I think in my heart I would expect it to be like, you're a bad person. If you don't have those things, then I can't believe you're not trying hard enough. If you don't have those things, you just don't have what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. No, it says, what does it say? If you don't have those things, you're nearsighted and blind. You're nearsighted, forgetting that you've been cleansed from your past sins. Anything that hit me again fresh this week is it's not that it, if I'm lacking, it's not because the Bible is saying it's not because I'm a horrible person. It's saying I'm nearsighted. I'm quick to forget the gospel. I'm quick to forget that I've been cleansed from my past sins and my shortcomings and my failures. And so what is the solution? Muster up your goodness. You're like me, you have, you have days like this week. I just feel, I feel weak, physically. I feel out of sorts. Maybe you feel like, God, I can't pull it together. But you know what you can do? You can remember the good news of Jesus. You can remember that your sins are washed in his blood and paid for and atoned for. You can remember that he came to restore you for better and that one day he's coming. And in the meantime, take the healing you receive and go out together and share with others. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for we thank you for um, this moment. Thank you for the time to be together and the opportunity to worship you. I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, God. God, I know that you powerfully move in our lives through routines, but I pray that today and and even this moment would not just be a routine in our lives. We invite you to move, God. Lord, you, for those who are here today feeling weakness, Lord, you said... You said that your grace is sufficient for us and that your power is made perfect in weakness. Lord, and when we're weak, that's when we're strong. Lord, I, I come to you today with my areas of weakness, Lord, and, and praying for your strength to be made perfect. And I pray that for each person that's under the sound of my voice, God, that they wouldn't stray away or feel the need to hide or downplay or minimize their weaknesses, God, but that we can bring those to you and say, God, I have fallen short. I have lived for myself. I have I've kept the guitar in the closet. And Lord, I want to play music and make music for your glory. Lord, let it be by your strength, God. God, I pray for that. I pray that um, we would have the encouragement of, of your word and of your spirit. 
And uh, just that you would guide this time of response. So we just ask.